0: uh
1: week has been, I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy. It's just a nightmare. nightmare. And, and all the stuff that I I, I was doing um, that wasn't as bad, uh, it was because there was no business. There's nothing happening at yeah. my shop. It's like zero. And now so, you're busy. So now I'm actually busy at the store and we had like 15 to 30 customers daily for the past two or three weeks. That's fucking great though.
0: But, um, but you got to fit the podcast around it and stuff.
1: Well, that's the shit of it. You know, this is the thing I actually want to do. Right
0: I mean Lord knows I don't want to be working either No Stop fucking with the microphone I'm it sorry It makes noise I know You're I know. twitchy And it's making me fucking crazy right, Okay ready <laughs> let's, just look at, let's just Let's, let's do the show
1: Ready let's And we're back Welcome to Recovering the Middle Ages The podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads And their pursuit of life, love, and recovery I'm Nat And I'm Mike And And boy boy, do we have have a a show for you you. Today on RMA Back with a vengeance from an unplanned dark week And we welcome the one, the only, the world-famous and locally infamous Dopey Dave, the host of the podcast responsible for the paradigm shift in the way we think about addiction recovery and entertainment. Give me a break. Dopey is the <laughs> podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and we are proud to announce that he will be joining us uh, via telephone uh, today. Today, in a few, many minutes after we finish Bullshitting about. We're going to bullshit a little bit. So visit us at middleagesrecovery.com dot Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, and more. Great reviews will be read on the show. So please, five star reviews, and uh, say something nice. Tell us your story <laughs> by submitting it on middleagesrecovery dot com, and you could hear your show on the show. You could hear your story. <laughs> On what? the show. Uh, new merch. You could also be a guest on the show, apparently, according yeah. to Nat. <laughs> More likely. Well, a guest, maybe we'll do a call-in. Yeah. New merch is available. We have these awesome uh, t-shirts that were made up by um, our number one Jeff. Uh, <laughs> Jeff's the other one. The number one fan of
0: Tacoma is other Jeff.
1: Well, I think about t-shirt Jeff is number one because he's made shirts for us and he's awesome.
0: But I oh, guess they're is. all awesome. Yes, thank you, Jeff. Our number one fan of Tacoma, by the way, has moved to another state. Okay. He put it in an email I completely forgot. A- <laughs> yeah. Which well, you responded to. I did, did Do I? you remember where he moved to? Somewhere in the yeah. south. Able- some Able- weird
1: Abalamba. Oh, really? Amamba. That's weird. Amabalamba. From Wow Islama from Alabama. From
0: Washington State to the deep South. Th-
1: I think so. Um, but these shirts are cool. They're oh, yeah. comfortable. Buy they look sexy. Um, <laughs> right now, we're selling them just by message us, and we'll figure out a way to send a carrier pigeon to you to grab the money. How's um, that for a system? But we are working right now on getting a WooCommerce uh, set up on our website, so it'll be very easy to buy stuff. And, um, you know, make orders. Um, one thing, I'm kind of surprising you with this. We actually have a few your stories that have been submitted, and I wanted to let people know the kind of thing that we're getting, the kind of stories we get on our website. I'm so shocked. I've surprised. got a few. Um, why don't you just read them out loud? This is what we're getting on <laughs> your story. This
0: one's from Catalina. Um, tell us your story. Morning. Uh, Care Dog Best personalized dog harnesses, all sizes from extra small to extra extra large. Easy off on and t- why am I doing an ad for this one? Alright go to the next okay, one. Sorry. There's
1: more. There's more. I
0: think there's a better right. one. And thanks, Catalina. Thank nice you. to know you're listening. Oh, here, here we go from Fiona. Uh, hey there. World's best neck massager. Get it now, fifty percent off and free shipping. Welcome, wellness enthusiasts. That's us. That's us. Wow. Okay. So that's a good one. And I think one more. I promise. Okay. Uh, Tell us your story. Good day. Wear with intent. Live (laughs) with purpose. Fairly priced sunglasses with high quality UV lenses. Awesome.
1: Those are some. That is some intriguing,
0: (laughs) intriguing, great stuff
1: that comes through the. uh So. Folks, this is what we get on our Tell Us Your Story (laughs) form. So please give me something decent.
0: You know what I did get, uh, and I had to reject about two weeks ago, I got a whole bunch of requests to join the um, private Facebook group by... People that were like, um, clearly not real fans. They, they did not answer any of the questions. And then you go to their uh, Facebook profile and it's, yeah, there's nothing yeah, there. There's it's nothing just the whole on. thing is just, you know, clearly. Uh, I mean, and that should tell you that we do screen the people who join our I mean, private. Lightly. I, yeah. I just look to make sure they're at an actual person, It's basically it.
1: Um, I know. And I keep adjusting the mic. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I'm very nervous. I'm actually, I want to say that getting Dopey Dave on the show, when I first started thinking about a podcast and whether or not I could do it. It was definitely after listening to Dopey and basically being inspired that there could be a recovery related uh, podcast that wasn't just people telling their story, like the whole sh- you know, it's like, I listened to a lot of podcasts uh, when the pandemic first started. Good, and yeah. Dopey is the only one I still listen to really besides, um, besides rehab confidential i don't i mean i was listening to Cher, recovery elevator and the only one that has kept my attention and there's a number of reasons for that is dopey and um it was always a little mini dream of mine to actually have a conversation with dave much less get him on a show that we were <laughs> we were making and um, so it's been really cool for me. I'm a bit of a fanboy, so that's why Mike is going to take the reins on the interview a little bit, so it doesn't sound like a dopey love fest.
0: I have a uh, suspicion you're not going to be able to just sit there.
1: <laughs> no, and can not you see? Say I'm anything. so nervous.
0: That is uh, that is not your way. No. Um, but with respect to those other recovery podcasts, some of them are actually pretty good. Yeah, but, I love Recovery Elevator. But many I listen to now just um, and they kind of irritate just me. To see if they uh, rip us off. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because I was listening to, um, what the heck's the name of that one? Uh, She used to live in our town.
1: Yeah, Soberful. Soberful. She was in my
0: AA group. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, not for the first time this week, I noticed them sort of picking up or pulling at a thread that you and I had started pulling out of the sweater mm. a little while ago. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's some borrowing of material since her and her buddy like are in like their, I don't know, hundredth year of doing the podcast. Yeah. And I guess, you know, topics get scarce every once in a while. Well, this, this, she, so, I mean, they're not bad. You should go listen to them. Yeah. Um, this week, their topic was um, why we count days. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Cause you know, Nat and I have talked about that. And then, um, They go in on this whole discussion about, um, you know, uh, people who relapse and then come back and they get shamed by AA and everything and I'm right. like Nat and I have talked about that too quite a bit and, um, and it was a, something a couple of months ago same same deal so I don't know I, I mean, mean we didn't know, invent that people are being we shamed we don't and uh, there's plenty of topics to, to you know that we, I would love to over- get her on uh, not only- <laughs> and I don't know if she's going to come on now that I've accused her of ripping us off well, of only she could defend herself she
1: could acquit herself nicely she's sharp uh, she used to chair the meetings I, I, go to, I used to go to uh, in our town and consequently she's got children that are, you know, school-aged that... They they were good customers of mine too, oh, so okay. I know her pretty well. I don't know if she was aware. I know she knows I was in her AA group, but I don't. I never like uh, came out to ask her about podcasting and stuff. But if I did, she has a, a beautiful accent, and I love listening to yes.
0: her. Yes, and it's a it is a good podcast. It's one of the few that I continue to listen to. Yeah, uh, you know, on a semi regular. basis. And
1: now you listen to Dopey somewhat since I've I also you listened along. to
0: Dopey on a semi regular basis. Um, yes,
1: and I think Dopey is really the the future of of how recovery and entertainment will will kind of I thought evolve that was us actually. Well, yeah, we're we're going to we're going to wait till he gets to it and then just <laughs> cut right. in front. Right? That's right. That's
0: how that works, right? Um
1: so how's, oh, shit. how how has your glasses.
0: life been? Um, did you go to Mexico or what? Did I did I go to Mexico? <laughs> I did go to Mexico. Uh, <laughs> it was a very strange <laughs> trip though. Some some of that is from YouTube, folks, and some of that is from Nat's mouth. Um, <laughs> you, I'll let you decide which is which. Uh, I did go to Mexico, um, against all better judgment and advice
1: from all your friends and family, not or? to
0: mention from the CDC and from our you know Emperor Cuomo. Yeah. Who, and you're looking a little green. I don't know if you got the corona or uh, I have you been were just drinking I, coronas. I am the most tested. Uh, person in New York state probably. I got a test 3 days before Hep-C I went test to Mexico. Count. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I got one in Mexico. Oh, that's And then scary. I got one uh when I got back. So Did they give you a shot of tequila with the with like <laughs> can I get a shot, you know, and they're like It's it's funny you should say that because um when you when you go to the resort uh, they had a a covid concierge which you know, sign of the times. But you have to wait on this very long line. And uh, they give you your appointment and they say, um, please be on time and whatever you do, don't show up drunk. because They said it, that? Yes, they said because it uh, <laughs> skews the test results and you might get a false positive. And not a problem for me, but maybe a problem for some. That um, is great. Well, they, they actually said people have been showing up drunk and that's bec- it's become a problem. It's at the
1: resort. All they do- right. like, I mean... How did you not? Drink? I mean,
0: how dare they schedule a COVID test for three o'clock in the afternoon? Don't they know that people are drunk by three I mean, o'clock in the afternoon? Definitely. I
1: mean, you got to have a Bloody Mary or a Mimosa in the morning, and then around lunchtime you're having uh, what do you have? Daiquiris. And what you have and, with lunch? Uh, pina coladas. Uh, something. Everything yeah. has rum, right? Or tequila. Tequila or tequila rum. Or rum.
0: Uh, so you know, I, we talked about me going down there a couple episodes ago, and I was. Experiencing some trepidation uh, about uh, going to an all-inclusive and not drinking because it was the first time that will have happened to me. But I don't know how
1: you did that without being in the AA program. I mean, yeah, well. According to uh, my friend Sergeant Slaughter, who uh, is some kind of AA um, proponent who completely refuses to even take their suggestions, <laughs> and but that when no one, <laughs> but if we're making our lives better with something else, somehow that's a dry drunk. He actually,
0: whatever, I, you know, like, that's what you want to call me.
1: He was like, that's oh, fine. I wonder how long that's going to last. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? Mike's doing great. What do you mean? <laughs> how
0: long is it going to last? Well, being a dry drunk. And I'm like, Ugh. Listen, I've seen plenty of people with 20 years in AA that are just fucking so tight and fucking angry at the world that, uh, you know, whatever program they're working in there isn't really working for them. Like Yeah. And, but I, go I, on. I, just to, close the circle on Mexico or open the circles. Um, I get, we got to the airport, you know, with all the kids and everything. And, uh, we, we go into the Delta lounge because I have some status based on my previous travels and, uh, there's people drinking, um, beer at nine o'clock in the morning. Like, and not insignificant number of people, which I remember seeing at an airport, it could be like
1: 6am, you're making a flight, because there's people, you know, I used to think, oh, it's because they've been up all night flying.
0: And so they're, but usually it's it's not, they're just just people drinking at the airport, right? Because somehow the airport is a, um, you know, it's a, a free zone to do whatever you want, I guess, but... That was the first thing that I noticed that I, I probably wouldn't have noticed before. And I, I didn't never really notice it when I was traveling for work. Mm. Um, but then we get to the resort and, and we usually go because my wife uh, works in education. We usually have to go, you know, on the school breaks, right? Mm. But we try and stagger it. So if we go on a school break, it's like the February break because the teachers union is strong in New York. So everybody gets a week off in February, they don't get that anywhere else in most places. I mean, it's usually around president's day. People get a couple days. So we go in February. There's not a lot of people there. This was the first time we went over what would be traditionally considered spring break Mm -hmm. or, um, holy week, Semana Santa. (laughs) Right. Uh, the first thing i notice when we get there is number one there's no europeans there usually is a ton of europeans because i don't know it's an ibero star it's a name that americans aren't really that familiar with so mm. they get a lot of people from england a lot of people from spain a lot of people from but they but the europeans can't travel right now so it, it was all americans i see instantly the America. The, the iq of the <laughs> of the resort dropped, <laughs> dropped by like 50 points i've never seen anything like it first thing i get there i go to the pool we go to check out the pool there's a guy and his and his girlfriend or wife practically having sex right there, drunk off their asses. For free? I mean, you didn't have to pay? I didn't have to pay to watch. Nobody did. Uh, <laughs> how long my, did you stay in there? My, <laughs> well, Aaron's like, do you see what's going on next to you? I'm like, of course I do. How can I, <laughs> I not see it? See what? But um, So... As we're walking to the pool, we see that, and then we see a fight between a drunken girl and her boyfriend. Nice, um, and she's sitting on the side of a building crying while he's sitting on uh, the porch, you know, drinking more beer. Right, and um, so I have to say, like everything I saw the first twenty four hours I was there was not an advertisement for consuming alcohol. It was it was a very um, anti. Alcohol thing, and I, I wonder if I would have noticed that had I been had the first thing in my mind been get me a drink. I'm on vacation, you know. Probably mm. not. I probably would have minimized it or not even seen it. Right. Um, but similar behavior like that over the course of the next few days was it was an excellent reminder to me of why I don't drink. And in fact, it I, I felt. The opposite of, of desire to drink, I felt like revulsion at the idea of drinking because mm, yeah, what it did to the people that were there, and that, and and it was just a constant, steady stream. Of and you drunks. didn't work twelve steps
1: with a sponsor? Uh,
0: no, I didn't. I, I didn't don't do understand anything like that.
1: No. So how is no. this possible? Uh, because it's I, just a matter of time. I changed right? my mind,
0: man. It's just a matter of time, I, I as they might say. You dry drunk? Well, I mean, I, I know what a, what people think a dry drunk is. You know, it's this angry. White knuckling, uh, right. barely being able to maintain sobriety, feeling deprived, feeling like I'm not, you know, able to do what what I want to do, and nothing could be further from the truth,
1: right? You know, I mean, and that's the paradigm that we have to break. You know, um, it, instead of and if the people who are angry or or nasty about people who. Are, are being happy and being sober without, uh, without the 12 steps. You know, instead of looking at how much better life can be when you break free from the ingrained dogma of AA, you know, some people, even in perpetual failure and misery, won't allow themselves to change their perspective and in turn achieve the life they truly want to des- want and deserve. So it, it's totally counterintuitive. And it boxes a person into into this uh, mindset that there is only one way to be successful. And mm. if there's only one way, if you believe there's only one way, and you have told yourself you can't do it or it's impossible, then... There's nothing that you can do, and so it gives you an excuse then to not try anything else right or to not try and make your life better a different way because you just say well if i I'm not successful unless I do this mm-hmm. then you're you're setting yourself up for failure, and your life is going to continue to be miserable
0: well, yeah, and the sad thing is you're going to be continually <laughs> mystified by the fact that This program that is the one true religion of recovery is not working for you. It's failing. So it's like, uh, there's something wrong with me. So why not look at someone like you or me, who is happy,
1: has gone from a place of... You've heard some of the stories on the show. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're talking about the worst kind of addiction, the deadliest situations, the most life-ruining scenarios, and to get us to a place right now where we're happy, joyous, and free, just like they talk about in meetings, yeah, right? And so why not, instead of nitpicking things from a program that just simply doesn't apply anymore to mm-hmm. us, um, you know, why, why are you going to talk that down? Why wouldn't you just try and emulate it, maybe? Why not say, wow, that's working for you? Well,
0: uh, not that I'm calling an AA a cult, but there's definitely some... I was going to say cunt. Some group... <laughs> both words with a C. Uh, there's some... Groupthink that goes on there that, you know, like many other cults, when you think you have the answer to life uh, and everybody else is just sad because they don't have it, uh, it's very hard to change the way you think and look and get outside of that box and look back in and see where things are working and things are not working. So maybe there's some sort of recovery deprogramming that needs to go, go on. I
1: mean, that's what happened for me. That's what I had to do. I had to deprogram myself by reaching out to all of these other methods and finally getting out of that uh, mindset, that, that impossible and possible path. I no longer have the excuse that AA doesn't work to stay sick. Mm-hmm. I used to carry that as an excuse. I tried it and it didn't work. Therefore, this is my life forever. Or I tried it
0: 20 times and it didn't work.
1: Yeah. Or like I was in inpatient rehab four times and three different, whatever it is. And it ain't working. Your life ain't getting better. Do something different. And I think this goes to, uh, what's been coming up lately. This debate about, um, the debate about California sober. Um, (laughs) and and what, what is California? sober? because we've had some, uh, discussions well, online. I mean, about this. my,
0: my understanding is that California sober used to be just smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently what's her name? Vera? Demi Lovato.
1: Yeah. I keep calling her Vera De Milo, like the Jim or Carrey builder character. I
0: keep thinking Demi Moore. Demi Lovato like going back. Demi Lovato. To, Demi uh, Lovato. Um, she was a bad st- addict that like had seizures and right. o- ODs and stuff very publicly. Yes. But she, um, she considers California sober. <laughs> wow. I just turned into Arnold Schwarzenegger. California soba. California soba to be, uh, alcohol, uh, as well as cannabis use, um, if it keeps you off of heroin. So, uh, harm reduction. Yes. Sobriety. No. Um, right. You know,
1: um, I said something brilliant on a Facebook group that I printed you out. You did print it out here. I did. I printed out. But people were, I think the situation guy, Mr. Ebbs from Jersey Shore, had uh, posted something. The situation. Like,
0: is yes. His name, right? The
1: situation. Yeah. And he had made some posts that set California sober will kill you. So um, people had reposted it and we were arguing about it. And so what I said was. Um, if I find people who get mad about California Sober are mostly just unhappy with the program they followed to turn their life around, hmm. and the idea that maybe they could have avoided all that shame and pain drives them crazy. Yes, just my opinion. I Boy. think I gave
0: you a like on that. Comment. Yes, you did. <laughs> you're very brave. Um, and uh, well, I, I gotta, I gotta say though, I'm you know, California Sober. If it's marijuana, I don't really have an issue with that. If you're drinking, I mean. I think alcohol is is the most dangerous drug out there. 100%. So, uh, for me... um, um, fentanyl is more dangerous. Well, okay. But, I I mean, you know what I mean? Like In terms of social cost, personal cost over the long term. I mean, fentanyl is dangerous because, you know, you could be a one and done.
1: Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, but alcohol is endemic. Yeah. It's uh, destroying families. It's destroying lives.
0: So, I mean, using alcohol in your recovery, I, I never... Did a drug unless I was drunk. That's over the line. (laughs) I wouldn't even
1: do that in a harm reduction. I mean, to try and get someone to reduce their alcohol intake is the goal of some programs and using Vivitrol. But um, I think it's, for me, I, I don't go into it. Like, I wouldn't. Smoke marijuana. That's just me because I I would I don't want to get outside myself. Yeah, well, I'm not looking to get issue, right? high. Mm-hmm. It's not
0: what I want. Mm-hmm.
1: I want what I have
0: now. It, it seems extremely cliche, but being high on life yeah. is really a thing. It's a thing. It, it is, and it is. it's a good thing. And I feel good about it. And you know, I just
1: wanted to say, um, you know, we took a dark week last week because of Mexico, and it sucks when we take a dark week because I really, really didn't want to, but we also didn't want to put out a show that was. You know, less than what we feel like we can do, and, right? Uh, and therefore, rob you guys of something worth, you know, yeah, that I, we
0: find is good. I couldn't have done it. I, I, I tried, but my wife had to come back. Two days early from Mexico, leaving me with the three kids in Mexico. Yeah. So and I said, I'm like, I don't know it. how I'm going to ever do that. And
1: then we were like, we'll do it on Saturday. And then my wife <laughs> reminded me that it was Easter on Sunday and that, yeah. you know, it just wasn't
0: happening. But, um, so sorry, guys. You know, I, I take most of the blame for that. I, I, I give most of the blame to Mike on that. <laughs> um, I even brought all stuff to Mexico to record on. And uh,
1: mm-hmm. I just couldn't find an hour. I but, uh, we missed you guys and, um, I'm happy to be here. And one of the things I just mentioned, Easter happened and we didn't get to talk about it yet. I had probably one of the best Easter's in a long time. Awesome! We went to our sister, my sister-in-law's uh, apartment out east and um, it was everybody there had been vaccinated. Uh, except one person that we were arguing with, <laughs> and um, it was really fun. You know, it's a, but it's another one of these drinking holidays. You know,
0: when we say out east, by the way, we mean the east end of Long Island, right? Which you know, you folks probably don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was great. We did Easter egg hunts in the
1: morning, and uh, we even went to church. And this was a point of contention for me because. I'm pretty involved in my local church, and it's important for me to participate uh, in church services and things like that, and to raise my kids you know with that going on so we were able to put it on the television via zoom
2: mm-hmm.
1: i even got my kids to we all dressed up for easter to you stand know, in front of the tv yes just That's to stand nice. in front of the tv and um and they did it they went along with it we wore like you saw that picture i posted on mm-hmm. we're all yeah, wearing the same great. shirts right i look yeah. amazing don't yeah, i
0: absolutely <laughs> i mean i was kind of impressed at noah wearing a jacket but
1: yeah, yeah and he did that on his own too um, but, uh, you know, it it was just a lot of fun, but the kids, they can't sit still for normal church. Right. And so finally, 20, 30 minutes into the sermon, of course, the kids just lost, lost uh, interest completely, which I don't blame them. Normally they don't sit through the whole thing. They go to Sunday school. right? So, um, and I was like, you know what? I was visibly upset about it. Uh, I think I test texted you something like, uh. I don't know. I like fam- my family, my family sucks, or something <laughs> like that. And I'm, you're like, "What's wrong?" I'm like, "Ah, it's nothing." And uh, but my wife, you know, knows that it's important to me that they do this stuff, and so she was pissed at them. You know, I, more than I was getting outwardly mad at them, and she was pretty much like laid into them pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And um, and I didn't feel
0: good about that. I don't like that. Um, but.
2: You know, I mean, I,
1: the
0: surest I, way to get them to not like to go to church is if they get fucking screamed. Well,
1: yeah, and that's <laughs> my point. But you know, she was right, and you know, maybe telling them that, hey, guys, Daddy does a lot for you. He doesn't ask much of you. This is this one thing. But mm-hmm. you know what? After that, one one of my sons, uh, Noah, started to um, hide the eggs in the backyard for Max. You know, they saw that something. You know that I was upset a little bit and uh my wife, making them feel guilty, which is sometimes the sometimes, strongest thing that sometimes they, that works though, and um, you know. and then we' proceeded to have a great day with their cousins you know um and it was a lot of
0: fun and it, and it gave me a lot of hope you know for the future good i'm um, that's excellent we um my experience was somewhat different. Um, we had the excuse of being technically in, under quarantine when we got back from Mexico, so we could not attend church in person. Um, so you would have gone to actual church? I would have. I would have gone the night before. I'm like a Saturday. So the Catholics have their stuff moving. They're actually
1: doing oh, yeah, it in yeah, the other church.
0: in-person stuff. Yeah. Um, we I went to. We've been going to the five o'clock mass uh, on Saturday because that's permitted uh, in lieu of a Sunday in the Catholic yes, world. I was always confused by that. Uh, it's actually great, but the the priest always you know makes some sort of comment like, "Oh, you guys are five o'clock Saturday people," uh, so you'll you know. Civilian. So I don't know what that means, but oh, um, that was- anyway, we couldn't go and. I have two teenagers who are not getting up at 7 a.m. for egg hunts anymore, although their brother is, so that creates a little tension in the house. I can imagine. Um, But uh, what we do with eggs is, you know, we hide regular eggs, and then we hide plastic ones. And inside the plastic ones, we'll put a piece of candy, but some of the eggs we put money in. Mm. And three of the eggs, we put like a $20 bill. How many did your neighbor kid Billy find? (laughs) Billy, I run him off with the shotgun whenever he shows up. You <laughs> see um, Billy running around in his underwear like pig pen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Clad that, of dust following. Him. I don't want to. I don't know what's going on in that house. <laughs> but uh, so they each can only find one of the golden eggs with the money. So that usually mm. incentivizes them to go out there and look. And, yeah. Uh, so we did that. And then we had people over who. Uh, Erin's mother was only partially vaccinated and her. Vietnam vet husband doesn't believe in vaccination so he came over without it and I'm like, am I going to kill this guy? I'm bringing Mexican COVID back and I'm going to give it to this guy. He's going to die. And that's his fault, man. Well, I was like, it's his choice, you know. Uh, so, it was, you know, we just had a nice day. But You know, I got a vaccine, I'd like to say. Oh,
1: congratulations. Um, I'm just checking time. We're going yeah, to see if our guest is almost ready. Um, well, I got the, my vaccination. I'm very excited. I was very happy. I have a neighbor... You know, because at thirty and up, I guess that's uh, in New York at least um, was recently released that we could get uh, that we could get shots. You know, before that, you know, some people were asking me, "Aren't you public facing?" Yeah, you are. Aren't I? You know, and the truth is that uh, there's no sports store owner lobby in Washington, and so we get no protection and nobody. I thought cares if you were us.
0: anybody in retail could get one. An- no?
1: It, not for uh, me. Okay. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't like me because of my tan and the but they, beard.
0: It's funny how they went as Cuomo's, or governor's scandals, you know, he's playing a little grab ass with his interns, but as his scandals started multiplying, his, um, <laughs> is, is that not PC? A little grab ass. <laughs> <laughs> so as his it scan- minimizes how hor- horrifying it is okay.
1: to do something like that to a woman. Come right.
0: On. Okay. Fair enough but as his scandal starts multiplying he started reducing the vaccine age like yep. really fast really like it was quickly. 60 then it was 50 and he just skipped 40 went and right then to 30 and finally he's like um, 16 years old and then
1: he's like uh oh and by the way marijuana is legal yeah. <laughs>
0: right that right. came out of nowhere
2: <laughs>
1: yeah he's be if you guys are, aren't hearing about what's happening in New York the governor like uh, Mike just said is is You know, getting in trouble for basically, you know, pulling a Donald Trump and just like harassing women all over the place, and they're all coming out, and uh, and so in order to obfuscate the charges, I guess to hide Mm. them, he uh, started, you know, like we just said, and legalizing marijuana, and that's kind of the big story because we're Mm. not doing recovery in the news this week because
0: sports betting is also coming apparently, and sports betting too. So, um, yeah, it's very weird. Instead of playing hide the salami, he's he's playing hide the. Some stuff. Uh, but it was interesting to watch these small town um, people yeah, this is big uh, in the news Facebook around group here. go absolutely berserk at the yeah. legalization. And and the thing that really drives me crazy is there's one local politician here who posts in the Facebook group about how, oh, it hurts her heart that the children are now going to have to smell marijuana when they go... <laughs> and I'm thinking, you do, you you literally design street fairs where people can drink in public and, around stumble, children. and stumble up and down the block around kids. And yeah, this so is the fucking that's thing that's, okay. you know, yeah, This, this is the
1: straw that breaks the camel's back. But we're right. not talking about domestic violence caused by alcohol, drunk driving caused by alcohol, you know, general
0: unhappiness and chaos that is daily caused by alcohol. But that's okay. I really had to hold my tongue because I wanted to post something along the lines of I would rather my kids be ripping bong hits than dr- drinking and driving up, up through the middle yeah. of town. But I'm like, I, would, I can't say that. I would
1: 100% yeah. prefer that. I'm yeah. not saying that just yet, but yeah. when it does come up, I'm going to err on the side of no alcohol um, and whatnot. Well,
0: but, uh, um, so I get my vaccine on Sunday, by the way.
1: Yeah. So you you get it on Sunday. So... I was just about to tell this crazy story about how I got my vaccine. So I had a couple of appointments very far away. And, um, and then my wife is trying to get me signed up. Um, our neighbor owns a pharmacy. And, um, apparently once I was able to legally with my age, uh, she was able to bring a dose home and get me officially signed up. And she just, I stopped at her house Mm. and I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is a one shot. And, um, it's uh, I definitely were for a few days was like my body was struggling, right? Which I'm told is common and also a good sign that your body is creating, you know, what it needs to fight the virus. Right. So, uh, I definitely lost my my usual get up and go that I I've been riding this upswing that I've had the past couple of months or mania. It's mania, call it. yeah. But because um, I've been going, 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 getting so much done, and um, and then for like four days I couldn't bring myself to do anything. I just felt horrible. But I feel all better now. I'm protected. I'm doing my part to protect my fellow human beings. And I feel good about
0: it. And pretty soon... Yes, Mr. Mike. I'm going to do it so I can get the vaccine passport, so I can go to concerts. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, honestly, I I'm just tired it. of living like a hermit. It's a
1: mark of the beast. It's yeah. the mark. So, it's the anti. So you don't believe that rising. Bill Gates is in is Bill putting,
0: chips, is into putting chips into your bloodstream or anything. Yeah, Bill no. Gates does not care about what no. is happening. I mean, if with people us. want to track you, all they have to do is he has enough money, guys. Carry he doesn't want power in your pocket. They can he track. Care. They know ex- what you're. They know every time you fucking fart with this thing.
1: Um uh. so I don't know. I I'm I'm excited everybody is is getting vaccinated um and uh last one of the last things I want to touch on before we call uh, get get our guest on is that um my midlife crisis I wanted to give a midlife crisis update. <laughs> um I recently ordered rollerblades. And, and elbow pads, I hope. No elbow pads. Yeah, you're gonna be in. You're gonna be in a cast. And, and running sneakers, and I got the ones that all of my middle-aged male friends who run
0: get. The Brooks Ghosts. Yeah, you, um, you sent me a text the other day that was that was hysterically. You were like, "These are really comfortable sneakers. I wonder what it's gonna feel like to run in them or something." <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: and I, I plan. I fully plan to exercise. Um, more than, you know, because I've just been doing push-ups. And That's exercise, right? It is. I do a couple hundred a day, just throughout the day. I keep doing them until, uh, you Someone know. Someone tells you to stop. Pretty much. I, I use my nervous energy to um, to exercise, and uh, and my diet's going well, so... Um, my wife is embarrassed at the idea of, of me being seen with rollerblades. I mean,
0: where are you going to rollerblade?
1: I, I haven't d- decided yet. You,
0: you live on a hill. Well,
1: that's the and thing. And
0: if you, if you build up a good head <laughs> of steam, you're going to be shooting out into the roadway and down there.
1: When I brought the rollerblades home, my mother-in-law was over, and she was like, I just want to say, <laughs> don't go out on your street. Go to the park. Don't, you know, and she yeah. was just, I'm like, yes, mom. Oh, yes, Okay. What do you think? I'm a schmuck? And clearly I
0: am. Rollerblades so, are interesting. I remember. I love rollerblading. I lived in the city back in the 90s, and that's when they were real a real yeah. thing. And everybody was like, oh, you yeah. go up to Central Park, and there'd be these guys with their shirts off
2: rollerblading. <laughs> that's going to be me.
0: I'm going to be that guy. Just be careful down here. Because I, want, I need a hip pack. A f- yeah, I need a neon. I need hip a fanny pack.
1: pack. Yep. Or a fanny pack, yeah. as they say.
0: I know what you were going to call it, and you're not allowed to say that anymore.
1: I don't remember. All right. Just Um, leave it,
0: leave it alone. (laughs) Um, So
1: anyway, I'm feeling like I want to get to this interview. Can I
0: do the, can I do the introduction? Well, yeah, of course.
1: Um, And um, here is
0: the introduction. Okay. So I wrote out way more than I should have for this. Okay. Uh, This week's guest is Dave M. Dave is a recovering drug addict and the host of the popular podcast, Dopey, which is a podcast about drugs and dumb shit. Dopey is a podcast about drugs and recovery, but it's also a podcast about Dave and his life on Long Island, where he lives with his wife and two daughters. Dopey has guests that rage from comedic luminaries like Mark Marin and Artie Lange to recovery movement superstars like Dr. Drew and celebrities like Dog the Bounty Hunter. A veritable who's who of addicts and alcoholics that join Dave on a weekly basis share their stories and their recoveries with the Dopey Nation. Yes. Okay. So that is the introduction, and here is the interview. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Reminding me to turn the recorder on is good.
1: Hello. Hey, Dave. It's Dave. Nat
0: and Mike from Recovery in the Middle Ages. What's up, man?
3: What's happening? Do you want me to put on headphones, or does it sound okay? It's, yeah, sounds
1: good. We can live with it. Yeah. <laughs> you sound as usual, and uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Dave. I've been uh, I've been dreaming about this moment. It's almost like a podcast childhood dream of mine to even have a conversation with you, much less get you on my
0: show. So I'd like to thank you again. It really has. It really has. Dave, uh, Matt has been so excited. I, I've had to talk him down a little bit this morning, but
3: <laughs> I'm a little excited. The most fucked up part is I talk to Nat like four days a week. I don't know why you're so why you're excited
0: about it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, uh, you know, it's,
1: it's, I don't just, know. it's we're, great. We're, we're trying happy. to figure
0: out how to, how to approach the interview because you're, Nat's like unbridled dopey fanboy enthusiasm level is so high. Um, I figure if I let him go at it the way he wants to, it would just be like a virtual love fest of inside jokes and Dopey Nation name dropping. Um, so I'm just going to take lead on some of the early stuff if that's all right with you. Uh, I
3: appreciate your professionalism. Yeah. Go to <laughs> town. Thank,
0: thank you. Um, I mean, believe it or not, we have probably have some listeners here that don't listen to, to Dopey. Uh, when we started the podcast, Nat was always going on, Dopey this, Dopey that. And I, I had never actually heard of Dopey before we started this, because my idea of the Recovery in the Middle Ages podcast was something like, um, I don't know, more like a, 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 a one of the traditional, have somebody come on, tell their story, and then you know, talk about the psychology behind it. And thank God I met Nat and we didn't do that because there's like 6 million of those out there and they, they tend to get a little repetitive after a while. Um So I, I guess like a lot of, but I listen now and and I really enjoy your We've podcast. made a fan
1: out of them, Dave. Don't yeah, worry. This it, is just part of my marketing strategy. One person at a time. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. So, you know, First thing I did though is I went and I listened to the the piece about your podcast that was featured on This American Life, uh, and I would urge anybody listening to the interview to seek out that episode and give it a listen. Uh, it gives a good history of the founding of the podcast in the early years. Um, do you think they did did a a good job, sort of, crystallizing the essence of Dopey or, or give you a fair shake?
3: Yeah, I think they did. I thought it was. Uh, I mean, when I listened to it, I remember I was going home. Uh, from my waitership late on a Friday evening when the show came out. And I was on the Long Island Railroad listening to This American Life talk about Dopey and Ira Glass talk about me <laughs> in the same breath that he talked about Howard Stern. So it was like, it was very heady stuff. And, um, and listening to Chris's voice and Todd's voice on this gigantic show was very emotional. I thought they did an amazing job the only thing that bothered me was they didn't really, um, I don't think they gave the fact that the show is still going the shape that it deserves. And, and they kind of like, I thought they kind of talked shit about the way the show is still going. They really poo pooed it. Hmm. But maybe I just wanted to, I wanted them to grandiose it. You know, I wanted it to be like, I wanted it to be like, and Dopey's still going and it's, they're doing different stuff and it's not over, but, but she was very much like, and I really loved the producer, but she was very much like, and now Dopey is kind of the straight interview show. (laughs) Whatever, who cares? Left-handed, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't like that. I never listened to it. Besides that, I thought it was great. To, it's a good piece, man. You'd like it. I, I don't. I, you know, it's
1: one of those things. Like the more somebody tells me to do something, the, the less I want to do it. But uh, and on top of that, you know, I was as a listener when I was catching up to Dopey when the, the pandemic started. When I finally, did, like a lot of people who who find out about Dopey and start from the beginning, if you don't necessarily know what happened, when you do get to that tragic episode, which was so heart wrenching, Dave, and you handled it really, really like better than I I could have imagined. I mean, that was such a difficult time for you. And the fact that you did a show the very next week, you know, with his fiance and and that even that same, you know, the week before doing it. And but it was so heartbreaking for all of us who who were listening and and got close, you know, listening to you and Chris. And for me, I almost I don't want to listen to that and go back to that
0: time. It was traumatizing. As crazy as that sounds. (laughs) So, so just before you get, I get your answer for that, uh, let me just fill in the listeners on something that they may be not familiar with. So, you started Dopey as a podcast where you and your friend Chris would tell drug stories, war stories kind of thing. Um, not a lot of talk of recovery, not a lot of talk of 12 Steps. Uh, you had originally listed it in the comedy section, if I'm not mistaken, of, um, of Apple's I- iTunes. And then, um, after four years of sobriety, your co-host Chris died uh, of an overdose in the summer of 2018 um, and you continued afterwards. That must have been yeah, a difficult I mean, decision.
3: It well, well, it wasn't a difficult decision and I don't think even though we said the show was just about war stories, I don't think it really was just about war stories. And I think it was about 12-step recovery, but not explaining it. More like 12 step recovery through the lens of somebody who didn't understand it and was trying to do it. You know what I mean? like it was not it was, certainly wasn't a primer for how to recover through 12 steps, but a lot of the early episodes were me struggling with it and having Chris explain stuff about it and then us making fun of it. So like that was a big piece of it and 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 our recovery was intrinsically built into the war stories because in the first episode, because we knew as soon as we did an episode, that if we didn't mention we were in recovery, it would be a slippery slope of possibly glorifying drugs. Hmm. So I think that was baked in in a, in a kind of secretive, fun way. Um, and people don't, like, I mean, like, we made it, I said on the first episode that if it was about recovery, I didn't want to do the show, but that was like a fake out because mm-hmm. it was always about recovery because we were in recovery. The whole show was about recovery because we were going to meetings and sober and drug addicts. So yeah, that I, was magic. I felt like, well, that, that was the, the deal I thought. And I mean, to answer your question in terms of, uh, sticking with it. Um, I don't think about that day. Um, I don't think about the day that Chris died very often because it's incredibly painful. Sure. And I, and I don't think I've thought about the day that I recorded that episode. Uh, I think it was episode 143. Yep. I never think about that, but I, But just you guys bringing it up, I remember I was at my dad's house, and uh, I remember taking out the gear for the first time by myself uh, in the kitchen, and uh, it was really clean for some reason in the kitchen that day, and uh, it was surreal, and scary, and sad, and painful. Um, And just, uh, I never for a second thought I wasn't going to do the show, because deep down, doing the show was my dream. Having a show like Dopey or any show, I wanted to do that since I was like in ninth grade. So like, I, I had an audience, and selfishly, I wasn't gonna stop doing the show. There was all sorts of other altruistic business, but the bottom line was I liked it too much to stop, and I finally had an audience, and I wasn't gonna give that up.
0: Well, I think by that time, too, you'd probably realize that, that Dopey was helping a lot of people. Mm. Um, and so continuing, you know, you do more good by continuing than by not continuing. I mean, the worst... You know, I
3: never, I, I still don't look at it like that. Mm. I, I, even now, like, when I know that people get some sort of benefit from it, it doesn't add up like that in my mind. Mm. Like, I, I can't imagine, like, I just want the show to be good and entertaining, and if anybody gets something out of it, that's a bonus. But, like, I think, and that's something that I've, I've, I've always talked about and and Chris used to talk about, like, I think the second we think the show is going to be some help, the the second the show sucks, Hmm. you know? Interesting.
0: That is interesting because you know Nat and I, and in the infinitesimally small audience that we have, whenever we get a, a note from somebody saying you you helped me not use today or something, I mean we're like over the moon. Yeah, about it's like that. everything to me. I hear
1: one person, and we've gotten a we have gotten a few, and um, that are really even in some of our reviews where people will say something like thank you so much for helping me understand that I am not a failure because AA didn't work for me. And, and that I, you know, and just to make them feel like they could do something, there is something that you can do that if you failed at this one thing, that guess what, there are other options and you're not a failure, you know, and just making people feel like, you know, they're worth something and there is no shame and, and, you know, keep going and, and open other doors, read other books, you know?
3: I think that it's it's like two two sides of the same coin. Like I love, I mean, I love nothing more than hearing from the listeners. It's like my favorite thing in the world. And I and I, you know, I'd be I'd be lying if I said I didn't like to hear that Dopey helps people. But I kind of like that's hard for me to digest that Dopey helps people. What I like to hear is, oh, Dopey's funny. I like to listen to it. It kept me company. It it. it, it help me get through the day. You right. know what I mean? Like that's the kind of, I mean, and, and listen, just because I say something doesn't mean it's true. It's just my, my interpretation of how I cope with my process of making the show. I just want the show to be fun to listen to. I want it to be listenable and entertaining the way, uh, Howard Stern is for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I it's, it's a weird thing. You know what I mean? And it's like, I just know. I mean, me and Chris used to talk about it, and it's like my favorite cliche about Dopey was that if we made Dopey to help people, Dopey would suck and nobody would get help. But if we make Dopey <laughs> to be fun, then it will be listenable, and people will get fun, and and people will get help. And Chris, Chris's great phrase was, "It was the rope a dope. We draw people in with the debauchery, and oh. they absorb the recovery, and, and, and kick that, them was, in the nuts. that was that. Exactly, that was the whole thing." <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, that's great. I mean, because, you know, what what makes the war stories so fun and listenable is, you know, the the fact that you're sitting there talking about right, them. Right, right. You know, because those stories are tragic if they end up in a tragic <laughs> you way. Know, they mean? often do, you know. I mean, they're funny, but, you know, they're funny because you survived them.
1: Yeah, but you actually, some of the things that Dopey has done, which is amazing, and something I aspire to do with this podcast, is you actually got... Um, uh, what's it called scholarships you actually have sent uh, maybe it's 12 people or, or less uh, I to, think
3: it's like 9 yeah. I think I sent 9 people to treatment
1: like yeah. that right there is huge man and that is directly helping someone and like, and like DJ you know look at him now look at him go he's uh, he's oh, amazing man. helping out with um, getting all the advertisers on the show and, uh, and I've met with him since we've been working on marketing for Dopey with you and uh, he's great man and that's a testament right there
3: well, that's the best story of all, Mike. I don't know if you know this story. I'm going to tell you this story. You ready? Yeah, please. There's this guy. His name is his name is Don Junior. His father's name was Don, his na- and he calls himself DJ. For some reason, I got into the habit of calling him Don. So I call him Don. I think of him as like my as Dopey's Don Draper. But <laughs> years and years ago, he uh, he came to my apartment. He was friends with one of Chris's best friends. He grew up with one of Chris's best friends in a gross Point, Michigan, and he was a terrible junkie. And he came to my apartment on the Lower East Side, and he was on methadone. And we recorded uh, a very classic episode of Dopey together. It was the episode where I told uh, my my experience of nine eleven, and and Don told his story of stealing like five thousand Vicodins, and and his story of going to Scientology. Rehab it was a classic <laughs> dopey episode, and I kind of lost touch with him. And, and Chris would always mention, "Uh oh, I think this guy is fucking fucked." Um, and then, and then Chris died, and I kind of felt like I should be checking in on him. And he was fucking fucked. He was shooting speedballs with heroin and crack in Michigan, mm. and um, and just failing, you know, doing terribly. And then, um, you know, the the dopey scholarship program happens because mountainside which was the rehab where chris and i met um wanted to they wanted to actually sponsor dopey but we had a scholar we had a sponsorship with another rehab called aloe and we couldn't have two rehabs so mountainside wanted to do an event which was DopeyCon, and at the end of DopeyCon, they surprised me and offered us a scholarship uh for one of our listeners and when we got the scholarship from mountainside i just I had been in touch with so many people at so many different facilities throughout the course of doing Dopey. And I was like, well, maybe I can get more scholarships. So I started calling up everybody I knew at treatment. And, I, and, and we managed to get, I think, I think we got 11 uh, set up. And, and my friend, Justin, who works at a, a place called Turnbridge, he's, he's now in charge of the scholarship program. But I, was, I remember it was a rainy night. And I was driving to pick up dinner for my family and Don called me up and he was all fucked up and, 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 and like dying, basically, Mm -hmm. he was shooting crazy amounts of crack and heroin. And I said, you know, I have a, a scholarship, uh, that I can send you to rehab. And I got a scholarship from Allo, which was, I think a nine month scholarship. Wow.
0: Wow, And that,
3: that would have been worth a fortune. Yeah. yeah. A hundred grand.
0: More than that. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah.
3: And uh, and he got a plane ticket, and he went out there shooting uh, on the plane. Probably he was shooting speedball, mm. and he had a uh, he had an abscess, which is from an infection. When oh, you, I remember um, hearing he, that. Yeah, he had this terrible abscess, that was, and he showed me a picture of it. And like I don't cringe easily, and it was like one of the most disgusting things I ever saw. <laughs> and he got to aloe, and they decided he needed to have surgery on it. And before they gave him surgery, they gave him a dose of Suboxone. Only he was still high on the heroin. (sighs) So if you take Suboxone when you're high on heroin, you go into what's called precipitated withdrawal, where you get totally sick. I've been there. So he goes into total withdrawal, and they take him to the hospital to lance the abscess off. (sighs)
2: He called
3: me up screaming and crying on the phone, you know, out of his mind. And, um, and, and and the miracle of DJ or Don is he goes through the program. He just celebrated a year. He's now, I mean, I make a joke of it. I call him the head of the Dopey sales department. <laughs> he is the Dopey sales department. He sold 90% of our ads. No kidding. And he's, doing, he's just doing so good. And, um, you know, it, it amazes me. Don is my favorite story around Dopey besides the fact that he exists. Because he's, I mean, like, and I don't want to put pressure on Don. But he's amazing, and he—he's like he's like hitting it out of the park every week. He's always just sticking with it, and and also he's very serious about his program, you know. And in my friend, you know what I mean. And I'm just very proud of that.
0: that that's awesome, amazing story. That, uh, um, so the pot, dopey does help people, it, right? at least one, right? At
3: least one. <laughs> you yeah, don't tell anybody. I don't, I don't like I don't like to make that the whole thing, but yeah, of course dopey helps. Of, of course it does. But it's, for me. I want it to be. I want to be an entertaining. Podcaster, I want to make a good show. You know,
0: of, absolutely, of course. Um, so you, you mentioned that you met uh, you met Chris in rehab. How how long before you started the podcast did you guys know each other?
3: We started the pod. We started recording the podcast at the end of 2015, and we met in May of 2011.
0: And when you started the those early episodes, I I think Nat mentioned to me it was just you and Chris sitting around talking into the. Into the laptop microphone, it was just kind of a lo-fi affair.
3: <laughs> totally, yeah. it was. It, but that was like that was by design. In that, like, I was doing uh, a web series, and um, you know, I was doing a web series about my job at Katz's. Oh uh,
2: yeah, and uh, I've watched some of those. Got,
3: <laughs> they're, thank you. they're very I'm funny. Glad, thank you. I'm glad. You, I'm glad you watched it. I appreciate that. But Chris was very like enamored with the fact that I got attention from it. Like uh, a bunch of different places wrote about it. And then like the guy who made uh, Anthony Bourdain's show mm. offered me a contract and I flew to L.A. to pitch it. And Chris was very enamored by that. And he was like, oh, I want to do something creative with you. Mm. And I was like, OK. And um, and I had another friend who I had worked with years and years ago who told me he had an idea to do a podcast about drug stories. And I basically just stole my friend's idea, which my friend is still upset about. And, uh, but my friend wasn't a drug addict. And, and I told Chris he should come. Uh, he said, what do we do? And I said, All, and, I, and I was very confident that I could make a podcast. Even though I had never heard a podcast, I was very <laughs> confident that I could do it. Only because I had literally listened to the Howard Stern show religiously for 20 years. And in the back of my head, I was like, I could do that. I know what makes the Howard Stern show good. And I could take that and I could plug it in with Chris. And he, came, I remember he came over, he was, what do we need? I said, we don't need anything. I said, because I, I used to record music on my uh, laptop and I would just use the onboard microphone. And obviously it wasn't high five, you know, production, but it, you could make a song. Right. And I knew that. And I, and I also just had a feeling that if Chris and I had spent money on equipment, before we had this show together, we would have, like, gotten scared. Mm-hmm. Like, there would have been an expectation that we couldn't live up to. So uh, so we did, like, the first 50. I want to say we did the first 50 episodes talking into the computer. And then hmm. Chris bought this super shitty USB mic. <laughs> and we did the next 50 episodes like that. And then we we, we got Dr. Drew on the show. That's That was amazing,
1: I, man. That was amazing.
3: Well, it was it was amazing because Chris had actually been treated by Doctor Drew. And uh and Chris was uh you know, wanted to be uh, a psychologist. So like he was ready, like super prepared with all the psychological shit. But I wasn't gonna go to Dr. Drew's apartment with the shitty mic <laughs> with the shitty USD mic. So I bought that's when I upgraded the equipment. But that's that's the story of like why we started Lo Fi. It was just because an expectation like would have been, I think we wouldn't have been able to keep doing the show if we hadn't been so scrubby at first.
0: So how much clean time did you have when you started the podcast? I think I had four months. That's pretty, that's pretty ballsy. But
1: but Chris had three years and part of his character, uh, just to tell our audience about, about Chris a little bit, he I think had three years at the time, but not only that, and his stories were crazy, man. He had like jail stories, and you know, if you guys go to go to Dopey Podcast um, and and look, find those uh, jail stories uh, episodes, but Chris had the gnarliest stories, man. And not only that when you started uh, making Dopey with him, he was uh, in a program, and I, I can never get this right, was it, he trying to be a psychiatrist, like an actual doctor? or He was in a very advanced um, psychology or psychiatry program for uh, drug addiction, isn't that right?
3: He was at a, a school called William James Institution, or U- William James University, which was in Boston. And William James like had a big he had a reference in the big book, which is why I think, uh, Chris was so interested in it. Um, but he was studying to get his PhD in psychology, yeah. which is a D. And he was working in sober living. I mean, when we started making dopey, he was living in sober living. You know, wow. uh, when, when he died, I mean, he had two and a half years and I had four months. And, um, it wasn't, again, it wasn't about trying to, you know, 12 step the world or spread a recovery message or anything. It was about making a show about two drug addicts, uh, talking about the dumbest shit they had ever done and the shit that they deal with, you know, if it, and that's why it was drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Um, because it was about, you know, drugs, you know, using drugs. It was about dealing with addiction and it was about the stupid shit that we all deal with, like what kind of cereal we eat. Or how we like our chocolate or whatever you're right you know, what very we for dinner?
1: very seinfeldian uh, but the balance between you two w- was was noticeable and it, w- it was really part of the synergy was that chris had this encyclopedic knowledge of of recovery science that he put together with his own experience to create this really unique perspective and really valuable perspective that you balanced out with just being funny and kind of showing what your experience was. You were at the very beginning of trying to get uh, sober and then he was kind of at another level. And so to hear you guys kind of go back and forth and his, you know, some of his canned responses, you know, big. he could quote the big book chapter and verse and, you know, you were definitely not doing that at that time, you know? So it was just really, really uh, magical kind of synergy you guys had.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because also because he was in that, program he would learn stuff and then we would get to talk about it so it really kind of just worked out that way and then i remember i i got into a big book study because i was so uninformed that i was like i need to learn this so i could actually talk about it in a way that makes sense um but yeah i mean uh, he he had that encyclopedic knowledge of recovery he also had the same encyclopedic knowledge of uh the pharmacopoeia he knew every substance every you know generic name dosages he knew research
1: chemicals too i remember yeah. you guys used to talk about research chemicals i love that stuff it's so weird but he didn't
3: but he didn't know the difference of uh of prince and queen right right you know, yeah. he, like, he didn't uh, he, like he knew nothing about popular culture and he knew everything about addiction.
1: yeah he thought like uh, led zeppelin did
0: abbey road or something like that it was some <laughs> funny stuff like that yeah, that's true. So where did your where did your journey start into drug abuse? Um, this is something I really don't know anything about. I went back and listened to a bunch of old episodes, but I don't think I ever really got the story of uh, of where you started. I know you were a bit of a weed connoisseur, but I, I, beyond that, I'm not really sure. Like, how did when was the first time you started doing drugs?
3: Um, I mean, I guess. If you want to count drinking, the first time I started doing drugs was was drinking in high school. Uh, Like, I would drink wine coolers before the high school dance. (laughs) Bartles and James. uh, Bartles
1: and James.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I would drink that. And, And I remember I was a waiter at a summer camp. It was really the first time I drank. I was a waiter at a summer camp. And it was the first time. It was interesting because... You know, I went to school in Manhattan, and I went to the same elementary school as high school. I was very safe, mm-hmm. and I, was, I had a, a nice group of friends who were good kids, and, uh, and my addict and my alcoholic didn't come out. It didn't come out until I had to go to this summer camp, and I felt totally alone, and I felt totally uncomfortable in my skin, and I felt like an outcast, and I felt like the way everybody kind of talks about, Uh, at a meeting, the way alcoholics and addicts talk. I never felt like that until I went to the summer camp. Mm. And, um, and the, and, and I had no friends. And I would, it was funny you mentioned Abbey Road because I would spend, that was the first summer I got into music. And I would lie on a hill wearing headphones, listening to Abbey Road over and over and getting into the kind of melancholy of it. Mm. And, uh, and I kind of made friends with the European kitchen staff. And the last night of the summer, they uh, they got wasted and they invited us and I probably drank uh, 16 or 17 screwdrivers and I blacked out. Yeah. And, um, and I barely drank after that. I, I got into drugs, but it was like, it was a sign. You know what I mean? It was this alcoholic sign. Uh, but I got into drugs, you know, at the end of high school, I started smoking weed. And then I had that same sort of psychological feeling at the beginning of college mm. where I felt totally alone. And that's when my stonerness really kicked in. And I got, and and like, I I could imagine why somebody would call it self-medication. The second I got into smoking weed, I was like, this is the way I want to feel forever. Mm -hmm. And I probably started smoking every day when I was 18 and I didn't stop. I mean, I took time off when I would go to rehab or detox or whatever, but I probably, besides that, I smoked every day from 18 to 41 uh, Mm -hmm. religiously. Um, and I lived for it. It was everything to me. And and then from there, like I was a musician, so I did a bunch of acid and if there were mushrooms around, I would do mushrooms. And then, uh, I wound up going to art school and I tried heroin, but I didn't care. And then Coke would be around and I would do that. And we'd sell acid and kind of like that outlaw artist, hero beatnik shit got into my head.
2: Right. And
3: I liked that fantasy. And, um, and then I always wanted to have a, a show and I, I wound up working in production and um I, I guess we had a, a drug dealer who was a delivery service in Manhattan and uh it was a it was a company called Indulge and they would print <laughs> out these uh black business cards with the silhouette of a white guy with a top hat on <laughs> and somehow we got that card and we would order drop would order coke and ecstasy and pills and and uh so is and this this is
0: in like the 90s because because I, yeah. I i lived in uh williamsburg at, at the time and and that was kind of like the heyday of those delivery services you know
3: yeah i think the delivery services are still going on now um,
0: uh yeah i'm sure they are but it, you know the guys would show up and they'd have a little suitcase and they'd open it up and there was like you know some coke like Five different strains of weed, you know, whatever you wanted. It was a, it was a very it was about the time that that, that Cosmo was around. You remember thank that Cosmo? You call and they deliver it like jelly donuts to your house with a bottle of booze. You know, I thank God
1: I never got a card like that when I was in. I mean that that's what I wanted. That's like what I dreamed about, man. You could uh, it's, it's, everything it's at incredible. your fingertips. Yeah, it was,
3: I never did the, the Cosmo delivery. That I was never a big drinker, but uh, but as soon as we found this. This guy, it was like the most incredibly exciting thing, just like you said, Nat. And, uh, and they were sending me, uh, I was working for this production company and they flew me around the country to like get audiences for a talk show. And I came home one day and my friend had moved in with me and he was in the house and a bunch of people from my college had showed up and all of them were getting coke uh, from our delivery service. Mm. And, I, and I, me being the, the like kind of bullshit capitalist that i thought i was i was like you're gonna make all this money what are you gonna give us and uh <laughs> and he gave us two bags of heroin nice. oh, that's and, a smart move and that was uh well yeah, i'm mean, I not don't for you <laughs> that was the moment that yeah. was the moment where i did it and it made me feel exactly the way i wanted to feel and and from there i avoided getting strung out but my my professional life was really going well. I had, I had managed to pitch a show to this entertainment company and they gave me a contract and they gave me a big advance and I thought I was on my way to incredible fame and fortune and I thought I could handle being a heroine. At, Would you, you know, say basically. that your
1: personal life was, was that annoying and your, yeah. and your business um, life was annoying?
3: I say my, my professional life was at a nine, and my personal life was at a one, uh, and my and my and my drug life was
1: at around a nine, yeah. as well. Uh, uh, it's a stern reference, sorry guys.
3: Yeah. That's it's Mike. That's Gary Delabate. The way he pronounces nine.
0: Oh yeah, it's no, more. I I've, I'm I'm familiar with Howard and all of that <laughs> uh, cast of characters.
1: So now your show is a lot like you talk a lot about alt recovery. I mean, I think I wanted to also get into like. Well, the show is very different. Obviously, it's a completely different dynamic now, and you get take a lot of shit for that on on reviews and complaining fans. You know, usually when someone wants to wants to hit you with some negative shit, they're usually saying something about like, "Oh, it used to be great, and then now yeah. it's all recovery and blah blah." And it's like, you know, it's called evolution for one thing, and, and it's um, for my money, it's a much better quality show and it's just but it is just different and like and what do you how do you feel about that you know there's the kind of criticism you get and you also get praise for it
3: there's a lot of stuff that goes on like it's it's an emotional thing you know like i think the best thing about this american life piece uh the best moment in it for me was you know because before chris died my very 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 close friend todd died he died six weeks before chris died and I think after Todd died, I was totally fucked up. Yeah. And, um, and I could not do the show in the same way. It was over. When Todd died, that part of the show ended. And, and, right. and Chris was using, you know, and I didn't know he was using. And he wanted to keep doing shtick in the same way that we did. And I, I, I was too traumatized by Todd's death to do that. Mm. Like, it was over. So I think the show really changed. When, when Todd died because I couldn't do the show the same way anymore. Mm. Um, and then when Chris died, like, there was no going back because the whole show with me and Chris was me and Chris. So if Chris isn't there, like, that's the most frustrating thing. I mean, like, I take all those bad reviews very personally because I'm incredibly sensitive and insecure. Um, but the fact of the matter is, they're fu- I mean, I'd also say nine out of ten of the bad reviews come from the section of the audience that uses, and and, <laughs> right. the, and you can kind of feel that mm. you know and that that was like it was another big shift in the show is that kind of after chris died I, I mean i mean i remember right after chris died i was getting these emails there was this crazy guy who was definitely using writing me these mean messages about the show um and I think it was because he was using mm-hmm. and he wanted to feel like it was okay. And it wasn't okay on the show to, to keep going the same way. So I think a lot of people felt abandoned because the let your freak flag fly aspect of mm-hmm. dopey had changed. But there was nothing I can do about it. You know, it's like, I, I mean, unless I was going to pretend that people using drugs didn't bother me after my two best friends saw. Because right. it did. You know, so I just had to be I had to be, uh, you know, it was hard. And the show was very depressing, I think, for a while. Mm. Um, And it was hard to have a show that was fun and funny when, you know, the the guy who started it had just died about the thing we had always been funny about. That's a hard dynamic to carry. Um, But nowadays, I'm finally kind of at peace with the fact that people write that because they love Chris. And they love our dynamic, and there's nothing I can do about it. I think also we just uh, surpassed the number of episodes that Chris and I did together that I've done without him. So, like, I think I'm just finally getting used to it, and I think I'm better at accepting the criticism now.
0: I mean, you're in a very interesting space, you know, given given what you just said, because I mean, a lot of your recent guests um, seem like they've been proponents of. Um, the California sober lifestyle, shall we say, or been proponents of weed smoking, um, at least like the last three or four that I listened to. Um,
2: no, that, that, you're
3: exaggerating. <laughs> I think just, just just Dog the Bounty Hunter and Jessica kent Nobody, yeah. I don't think we hear. Oh, and Misty. Yeah. Misty,
2: so Misty, well, that's Misty. the last that's three. True.
0: So, <laughs> right,
3: that's true.
0: that's so, true. Three out of four. Uh, I mean... You know, so that must sit kind of strange with you. And I mean, the whole idea of the Dopey Nation is a little interesting because you, you didn't create that group, right? I mean, it sort of sprang up out of the, the well, fans of the podcast in and of itself.
1: To support,
0: I think it was after Chris's passing,
1: I think is when it really galvanized. Uh, I think I heard you say that more than once.
3: What happened What happened was I, I, I was doing like a character on the show with chris and i was trying to be like a preacher and i'd be like stay strong dopey nation like it was a joke mm. and then and then all of a sudden people were like i'm in the dopey nation i'm in the dopey nation and uh and then we would we would refer to the audience as the dopey nation after that and uh and chris and i like we always had people who would be like dave sucks i like chris i'm team dave i'm chris sucks mm. and and like I, I wasn't good at that stuff. Like that stuff always bothered me. So we never set up a fan page because mm. I didn't want to deal with that. It just seemed like it would it would create dynamics that I couldn't deal with mm. um, because I take things too personally. And I and I just and I knew that it affected Chris also. I just didn't want to do that. But then after he died, a, a bunch of the the listeners were like, "Can we set up a Nation fan page?" And I was like, because they needed to mourn him together. Because like all these people that were so connected to Chris, like they would tell their, their boyfriend or their wife or their husband, Oh, my, the guy on my podcast died and nobody would understand what that meant. Right. So what, but like all these people who had this connection to Chris, once they started a group, they could mourn him together. So that's where the dopey nation was galvanized. Like you said, Matt. and in terms of this California sober business, it's like, I think for a long time, I was very resistant to telling any story that wasn't just about abstinence because I was scared like that we would give somebody the wrong idea. Mm-hmm. But, but I think that addiction is, is, it's not just about on or off. It's not just binary. And I think that if, if I want the show to exist, we need a, a healthy diet of different topics and, and different guests who have different opinions and it, and they know, the audience knows that I'm abstinent and I work a 12 step program. I I think it's important because that can't work. I mean, like, honestly, I think that a 12 step program can work for everybody, but it, but what it can't do is it cannot work for anybody that doesn't want to do it. So I respect that. I respect that. Not everybody wants to do it. And that if you don't want to do it, you basically can't do it. So you need to find another way. And I'm Open to exploring what that looks like.
1: Yeah, and, um, and that and that you touched on a little bit about how twelve step has uh, become, um, you know, a big part of your recovery. And I have to say, for me as a listener, um, you know, I have struggled and continue to struggle with uh, AA and and what. Uh, what I went through in my early days in AA, the things I hear people in AA say and the way they treat other people and and all of that. And um, honestly, I had, you know, resolved to never go back and uh, to never, ever again subject myself to the kind of shame that I felt when I was there. However, once I heard that Dopey Dave was starting to do it and the way that I could hear the change in your voice... and and how much better you were doing, it actually got me to kind of want to revisit um, going to AA meetings and I even fantasized about one day maybe I could get to an AA meeting with Dave you know like good on to the I'm like how, how am I going to bring that one up that's that's going to be awkward but um I figured <laughs> if I do it in the show it'll be a, it'll be a little easier but I was just thinking though like it, it makes me want to revisit AA and I think that's a good thing uh especially the way I, I think of AA now the way I incorporate it into my program uh is that I, I still read AA literature. I, I still engage in AA and 12-step, you know, thinking and, um, and Zoom meetings, you know, and that brings us also to the fact that Dopey Nation has started what are kind of like 12-step meetings through Dopey Zoom. I mean, they even do a big book study, and I think, I think that's, that's great. It's like a softer, more loving version of what AA maybe should have been.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm in awe of the dopey nation and the stuff that uh, they do, and it, it it's like I cannot the pride I have and the appreciation I have for those guys who who are so committed to this community. It's like it blows me away, and that is for twelve step recovery. Like I don't think about the people, I don't care about the people involved with it. What I like about twelve step recovery is it it sets up a very very simple way. Uh, for me to do the next right thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, like, it's like, if you asked me to build a desk, I would not really know how to build a desk. But if you gave me a desk from Ikea that had 12 steps on how to make a desk, I would have a, a desk. And I find that with 12 steps, like, the, the thing that I love about 12 steps is that uh, the bottom line is that love and tolerance is their code, and I love that. I love the idea of having a moral compass. I needed spirituality. I didn't have spirituality, and it taught me a way to use spirituality in my life. And it's like I don't get caught up with the people at at twelve step meetings at all. Like I barely fellowship. Um, I don't get caught up with stuff. If I don't like it, I just don't listen to it. Mm -hmm. I, I I like the the. I see it all strictly as tools. To be happy, joyous and free. And I hate the culty aspect and I hate even sounding culty, but it is literally just a tool that gives me more freedom. You know, that's it. Yeah. That d- that's why I do it. You know, that's it.
0: Well, it does it works for a lot of people. Um and, and the people for whom it works, um, it tends to work very well. But you know, to just to carry on that IKEA analogy, there's some people that just cannot follow those instructions.
1: They don't because <laughs> if the instructions
0: just, are in
3: at Japanese, you're going to you speak English. You're going
0: to get a, instructions for a dresser, but you're going to end up with like an end table <laughs> or something <laughs>
3: if you follow. Right. Well, um, that's well. I mean, like I don't mind using a dresser for an end table, but also, like you're right. It's like in like there's so many. I hate all the cliches. I hate everything about it except that it works, and it only works if you actually do it. If you do it, it really works. And the more you do it, the better it works. And if you don't do it, it doesn't work. And and I think, you know, when, when Chris was alive, I loved to make fun of people on medicated-assisted treatment because I had been on medicated-assisted treatment for so long. And I remember, like, I remember I was living in Los Angeles, and I was on methadone, and I had a therapist, right? And And the therapist would kind of go through my day. And my day would involve waking up at five in the morning, spending whatever money I had on heroin and pills, coming home, shooting whatever heroin I had, taking the pills, smoking whatever weed I had, and then going to the methadone clinic, taking 150 milligrams of methadone, and then going to the therapist, and the therapist telling me that I was participating in harm reduction. And I was like, that sounds (laughs) great. I was like, and I was like, like, yeah, I love harm reduction. (laughs) Harm reduction gets me so high. I love it. Um, (laughs) And so like, so that was my philosophy when, when we would discuss it, which was, there was in my mind, there was no way I could use medicated assisted treatment and not go balls to the wall getting high. There was no methadone without Xanax. There was no Xanax without weed. And there was no all of it without whatever other money I could spend on heroin when I could spend it. So like, that was my that was my experience. So I just talked about my experience, not thinking like just like with you guys. Like you're saying, when 12 Step doesn't work for someone, it's like harm reduction didn't work for me. So I assume it couldn't work for anyone. Mm-hmm. But then, but then Chris died, and I didn't want to be a dick on the show. And so many people were uh, were on on methadone or Suboxone or, or or weed or whatever they were doing. And I and I love the community of the Dopey Nation. And, and really when it comes down to it, if love and tolerance is my code, I need to have love and tolerance for these people and realize that there isn't just one shoe for every foot and that anything anyone does to have a positive life and a happy experience, I support. And, um, and, and I kind of just hammered that home a bunch of times and we got an email from this woman in New Hampshire. Her name was Jamie and she was she was on methadone and she was smoking weed and she said she never felt connected to recovery until she listened to dopey and she thanked me for dopey being at the vanguard of the alt-recovery movement (laughs) is what she said and i was like holy shit we're at the vanguard of the (laughs) alt-recovery movement and i was like this is great so like we kind of i talked about it with with Sam, who helps me make the make the show. He produces a show with me. I talked about it with everybody I knew around recovery, and we kind of just came to this place that said the alt recovery movement basically says because Sam doesn't work a twelve step program and he's in recovery, and and he has a lot of resentment against the twelve steps. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people that do. yes, they do. So the alt recovery program says there are an infinite ways, a number of ways to get sober. Like if, if you. It's all about practicing something as a as a replacement for the addiction. It's about pursuing some positivity in your life that takes you away from the misery which is addiction. And that's the concept of alt recovery. It's the inclusiveness where all the freaks are welcome. You can you can just smoke weed, you can be strung out on heroin, you can be on methadone, and we will take you in to to to, to yeah. lead you to some place Better. Meeting
1: meeting them. Right. Meeting them where they are. And um, one of the things I'm starting to see as I evolve in my sobriety is that I am a very different person in more than one way now than I was when I first got clean. And the maturity is something that doesn't get talked about in recovery. Whereas today, perhaps harm reduction, if I approached it from my, I feel like an adult. You know where I as I didn't three years ago, so I mean I'm not like things are definitely different now, and maybe it would be possible now that we've I'd like to say we've grown up. I I've left my perpetual adolescence, and that now it could be possible, you know, to engage in something like you know some kind of harm reduction if necessary if you don't if you need it, but I mean. You know, we were having this discussion about this naked mind. Uh, You and I, were when we were talking about Annie coming on the show, and the point I think that you were making was, you know, how is this going to help somebody who's got, like, right in the middle of their their chaos and their sickness? Like, are they going to be able to read this book and then cognitively, you know, change their ways? And my answer was, of course not. I think when you have, like, it's like triage, you know. When you're super bad and things are... Like horrible, you're out of your mind. Get to a hospital detox. This is what I say, and I'm not a doctor, but I'd say hospital detox, inpatient rehab, outpatient with 12 step. Do that for six months to two years or something. And then you can start really using your mind a little more. You know, at that point, you can graduate. I know people don't ever graduate from AA, and I'm not saying that, but I think cognitively, you're in a place where you can. Yeah, you can actually study, like, what does alcohol really do for me? I mean, is it really something that is going to be a reward, like I used to think? And once you can really know, when your inner addict is finally not telling you, you deserve a beer or you deserve a line, I think that, that that's passing a, a threshold of maturity that uh, is part of recovery. That I don't think that gets talked about.
3: No, I, 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 I don't disagree with that. I think that the hard thing about your your, you know, uh sporting goods store owning doctor's advice right. is uh the, the difficult part about it is that if you tell someone you need to go to you know the detox, yeah, go to detox. You need detox. But then you say you need to be in program for two years, it's all of a sudden two years is like a billion miles away. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it- really just about like what the fuck do I do today? You know, and, mm-hmm. and that's like that. That's I mean, that's where I like to, you know, that's I don't know. I, I know that when I was first getting well, getting through the day was the miracle. Like and I remember I would like go to sleep. I would go to bed early so I didn't have to sit up, you know, and just so I could wake up the next day and be like, OK, that day is over. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Absolutely. It's just the The day. But, Mike, I want to ask you something. How, how mishuggan and stupid do you think alt-recovery sounds to you, or do you like the idea of it?
0: I love the idea of, of alt-recovery. I, I think you have to meet people where they are, and I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I My personal feeling is that uh, AA, like I said, works well, for, or that the sort of 12-step-based program works well for the people it works for, but there are just of people that yeah. are, well, well The stati- you know, it's funny about the statistics with, with AA and NA, you know, you don't, how, you, how are they really coming up with those statistics, you know, because the people that tend to be most vocal in support of the programs are, are the ones that the programs are in successful program. for, right, exactly. you, know? <laughs> you know, and everybody else, you don't hear from them because right. you know? they're, they're either dead or they're still using. Right. But, it, but I do agree with you, uh, Dave, that, you know, you can't, w- when you're first coming around, you cannot um, plan out three years of recovery. You know, straight I ahead. Like, plan, I,
3: I couldn't even plan out three days. No. You know, or three hours. It was like, oh my God, the I, beginning.
0: I mean, I, I'm I'm in favor of harm reduction. Um, you know, I I practice an abstinence based recovery myself, uh, because I've gotten to the point where I don't want to be have my consciousness altered in any way. I prefer to be a life on life's terms because to you're bother happy now. To, to bother borrow a term. Yeah, I mean I am. And, um, but I'm not a, I'm not a 12 step person. I was in the, in, in the nineties, I, I, I tried with AA yes, more than once, more than 10 times. Right, and, and it didn't cure it you? didn't, didn't cure me then. That's so weird. Yeah. But
3: but there's no cure. Well, right. You
0: know I, mean? I, I mean, I, that's, that, that was an artful term. I don't think I was really looking to be cured, but what I have found over the last two years is that, um, the further away I get from altering my consciousness in, in any way, and, and i I put weed on that same table for me, um, I can see things with much more clarity and th- and then that's when the inner work begins right when when things when things are when you're able to think clearly huh. so, so wait,
1: would you say that you've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind, body, and soul I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's how I feel. Yeah. I think, Dave, is that how you feel? Have you recovered from a seemingly Absolutely hopeless
3: state? Absolutely not. I'm, 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 I'm always recovering. That was something Chris used to joke about, that he was recovered. And it's like, it haunts me, you mm. know, to this day. Um, and, like, again, I'm not, like, waving a 12-step flat. I'm only saying that doing the work works. It it it, it worked for me. You it know works if mean? you like, work
1: it. So work it, you're worth it.
3: But I don't even mean it in that way. It's like it's like it's like for example, right? You go to me- I went to meetings for years, and I'd hear people talk about praying and meditation, and I really thought they were trying to sound cool, and I really thought they were trying to like fetishize God and religion and spirituality like they were cool, right? And and only recently did i did i really start a spiritual practice and it it, it, it's it's just made my life so much better but it's not about like having this beautiful experience it's literally about doing something that makes me less crazy that makes me more happy it's not about anything besides tools it's just tools like that's how i see the whole thing now um and i do it strictly so that i'm less of a dick so Mm -hmm. that I'm more open, so that I can get more shit done. Like, I love drugs. I I love drugs. I love getting high so much. But I just think that, like, let's say even with weed, it's like I make jokes on the show all the time about, like, wishing I could still smoke pot. But the truth is that I can smoke pot. Mm -hmm. And if I smoke pot, I I don't want to risk what I've I've earned. You know what I mean? I don't want to risk the life that I've given myself you know, over the past five and a half years. And like, I don't, I just don't see weed adding anything to my life. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I just see weed as reducing my ability to to do the shit I'm doing now. Like I love doing the shit I'm doing and I would hate for something to inhibit my ability.
0: That's exactly, that's exactly what how I feel about it. Um, but the spirituality piece is, is pretty interesting because for me, I kind of backed into it. I mean, I've always been a bit of a, of a of a Buddhist and and you know I sat with some Zen groups you know I've always been a bit of a Buddhist. but but the problem is when you're drinking every day it's very hard to meditate <laughs> that's true because <laughs> so so for the last couple of years I've gone back into meditating every day and it really is an important part of of leveling me out and making me a better person I don't know really if I consider it as part of recovery though um, because I was. I had stopped using any substance and then I started back with meditation and spiritual practice and it's made me a better person. Well, that's what recovery is, I think. Well, that, I, mean, I guess maybe making that's the your issue, life, right? And
1: that was a point I wanted to make, but I forgot why, in the middle of thinking about it uh, while we were talking, but it's that for me, recovering and being sober is more than much more than just i don't drink anymore yeah, absolutely. i don't take any you know substances that are banned or blah 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 for me it's are you trying to make your life better is your life better? You know, and whatever that means, you know, and and, I mean, I think we know from experience that uh, making your life better usually doesn't mean smoking pot all day, you know, but if you're doing, you know, meth for six years and, you know, you, you get off of it and start smoking marijuana, maybe however much a day, you know, that's a better life, right? Maybe it's not sober, but I consider that, especially if you're, you're working actively and daily toward that, making your life better, that is recovery to me. That is recovering from this, this life that nearly killed, killed me and nearly killed and, and did kill many of us. And so that, that's oh. kind of the angle that I'm looking at recovery right now. It's less of, you know, uh, you know, did you go to X number of meetings? Did you call your sponsor every day? I mean, it's not about that for me. It's just a, am I making my life better? Uh, each and every day and what am I doing for my recovery
0: so your whole life is, right. a, is a manifestation of your recovery
1: 100% I don't separate it right.
3: I, I think that it's all like a, a semantical thing you know what I mean like like I, 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 I've been meditating every day for I think about a month or maybe two months and I love it mm. is it part of my recovery maybe it's definitely part of my life and then you have and this is going to be somewhere out of left field but I think this is This is like my my belief about it. It's like Bob Marley. He was a Rasta. He was a songwriter. He was a musician. And he would say that when he smoked pot, it would be his meditation. Mm -hmm. And I am not going to sit here and tell you that Bob Marley wasn't meditating when he smoked weed. You know, and because probably the greatest songs that were ever written came out in Bob Marley's weed meditation and all these Rastas. Weed meditation, mm-hmm. and I will not begrudge anybody's joy doing anything. It's just about my life,
2: mm-hmm. and
3: my my like my life doesn't have room for it because I, like I was such a fucking disaster, even just as a stoner. Mm-hmm. I was not writing fucking the the records that Bob Marley was writing. I was watching TV and eating ice cream. That's what <laughs> I was doing, you know. But I will not begrudge the greatness that was. Bob Marley or Paul McCartney or Jimi Hendrix or whoever that found success and productivity doing something. Or I won't begrudge anybody who's an addict, like you said, like that was a meth addict that switched to weed and they found joy. Like let do your thing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, because the second that I'm imposing my mm-hmm. belief on someone else that's the second that I'm not happy, joyous, and free. Right. That's the second that I'm doing something that's not fucking
1: cool. You had a really great quote. I forget exactly who you were talking to. It might have been four. It was that, that girl that you were talking to who is really, she's got a big...
3: Jessica Jessica.
1: Pro, right, and you said something that really stuck out to me as like a brilliant insight, I'll say. <laughs> and Thank you, God. Yes, you said, I'm comfortable with your happiness. Yes, I remember and that. And man, did I write that down and say... Yeah, yeah, man. That's like, Mm -hmm. that's it right there in a nutshell, you know, when you said that.
3: Well, I think you saying that makes me feel very good about myself, first of all. But (laughs) secondly, I think the second that I could be comfortable with Jessica Kent's happiness was like the first moment that I could be comfortable with my own happiness. Like that my shit was not in its normal, envious, bullshit, Mm -hmm. jealous place. That my life was finally good enough that I could be like, you do what you do. Right, man. As long as you're happy, that's cool with me because I'm actually finally happy.
0: Right on, right on. That's it.
3: You know, which, a, is, which is uh, weird.
0: I mean, I, I, I remember I used to walk around with, with a wretched hangover and I'd see people just walking by me with a smile on my face and be like, what the fuck is wrong with them? Yeah, what, what's wrong <laughs> with you? I <laughs> mean, um, you, can't, you can't be happy for other people until you're happy with yourself.
1: So I I wanted to actually Dave's up against another he's got a meeting coming up um and I wanted to before we 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 finished I want to talk about you know where where did you where do you see Dopey going what's next for you is there a book that in the works called it was the least I could do are you looking <laughs> at TV films what's what's up next for Dopey and the Dopey Nation
3: Well dopey is, is just going to keep going. Like, I'm just going to keep putting out shows. And, um, I have this idea like that, you know, I'm just always trying to concoct a way to get more. All I ever want is more. So my recovery is not, that's why I'm not recovered because all I want is more all the (laughs) time. And, um, and like, I'm just always trying to concoct and weasel and plan like how I can get more. And I've always wanted to write a book and I feel like if I had a memoir maybe that would make Dopey bigger. And I would have a memoir and people would like to read my book and I would ha- make something else. I also think that if I wrote a book maybe it could be turned into a TV show. Like, after the This American Life piece they approached me about doing a film about the This American Life piece and mm-hmm. I was like, sure, whatever. And um nothing ever came from it. And I tried to write a script and i just found myself writing a script about my life and it felt really weird mm. and um and i was like i should just write a, a memoir and then if, and then if we can adapt that into a script that would be something i also always dreamed of having a show that was kind of like half howard stern show half a uh, regis and kathy lee show which was like a couple of addicts sitting around the kitchen doing dopey you know what i mean like like a a television talk show, Um, you know, random bits. So like, that's, that's one of my dreams, but for now, uh, and then the other thing is that I'm, I'm, I've gotten to this place in my mind where I have this day job uh, working at this deli that is, you know, it pays for my family, but I don't see it being a sustainable job as I get into my fifties and sixties. So I'm thinking about going back to school uh, as a, um, a kind of backup, you mm-hmm. know, like a, some kind of therapy job, get a master's in therapy. And, and so, cause I know I could be an old therapist with an office and, Yeah, I fantasize
1: about about that too, man. Like, (laughs) I want to get my master's in social work or something. I think that would be great, man. Um, We're really excited. This is a backup. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, and one thing I would recommend is that you get a really good marketing strategist who can help (laughs) you shape and mold, you know, the way that you're reaching out and getting more listeners. And I think you should do that for sure.
3: I think the most important (laughs) thing is that said marketing strategist can distinguish between monthly downloads overall <laughs> and episode downloads per <laughs> yes. month yes that's the statistic that i'm trying to to find if, if i meet I, someone i'll tell you <laughs> dude the dream uh, my dream burns inside of me like the dream that dope like i dream that dope like dopey is like a fucking tiny podcast in the wake of gigantic podcasts but we have a little audience and I dream of, of turning it into a brand that really successfully marries entertainment and addiction uh, with recovery and drug addiction and dumb shit and all that stuff built in. Like, I dream of Dopey being bigger. You know, Dopey is the band I always wanted. Yeah. Um, and, and I just, I wake up in the morning thinking about it and I go to bed thinking about it and I dream about it and I'm invested, you know.
1: Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to to what Dobby can be, and I'm excited just to be a part of it, and uh, and the fact that you even take any advice from me at all is uh, is a
3: very suspect of my my. Ability. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, it's very <laughs> strange to me. I'm like, how did I convince
1: this guy to give me access to his, his data? But um, no, it means it's, I, we have a lot of fun, and um, I want to thank you, Dave, so much for doing this show. It was definitely a little dream of mine. And yeah, thanks for your time. I, we really appreciate. I it. I have always. Uh, I've always wanted to to take out uh, take you out on the Dopey Nation and uh, and say those those last few words that you always say on the show and and I'd like to do that today if that's okay with you. Yeah, man, sure. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you so much, Dave, and I, we hope to get you on again soon.
3: Yeah, man, I live very close by. Thank you guys so much. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a I, lot, I love Dave. Talking about the show. Thank you guys. Yes, so long. Bye.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Later. That was awesome.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, dream come true. And uh, I can't wait to hear uh, reactions to that. It was just a really great interview, I thought. Yeah, and we went um, pretty deep, man. Yeah. I feel good about it. We, we're going to uh, wrap up the show, actually, guys, if you're even still out there. It's um, a long one. It was a long one, so we're going to withhold the uh, recovery in the news today and Paranormal Minute or whatever we call it. We'll do it it next week. And uh, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. If you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. Check out our show notes. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Tweet us a twat. You twit. I've been Twittering more. You so have been. I've I am. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm um, trying. Apple Podcasts uh, is where you can give us a review. So if you go to the Apple Podcasts app, and please, please, please do this. Five stars and then write something that makes me feel good about myself and something that makes Mike <laughs> feel good about himself. Yes. And it'll keep us clean another week. Um <laughs> <laughs> New merch That's is great. available. You should yeah. say that. Often. I, it's guilt, Guil- yes. guilt, yeah. and um, right <laughs> anxiety, panic, and guilt is the three pillars by which <laughs> the, the, the I driving build. force of our yeah. of our lives. Um, messages about merch and stuff like that, and uh, as we say, non
0: proficiat perfectum, uh, progress, not perfection. See you next week. Be good, guys. Bye.